Father in heaven, as we begin our class again today, we do rejoice in the knowledge that Jesus is coming again. We are Seventh-day Adventists. We believe in the second advent of Jesus, and we're looking forward to that day with eager anticipation. But we know that there is a preparation work that you want to do in our hearts, and we need to understand that, and we want to be able to apply that in our lives. We pray that your Holy Spirit will bless us in our class today. Give me words to speak and each one ears to hear what you have to share with them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're moving from our first class where we were summarizing some of the events and over looking at an overview of what to expect in the future. Again, this is a general class. We can't get into every specific but in the yesterday, today, tomorrow, and Friday, we do want to look at some of those specifics in terms of that work of preparation that God wants to do in our hearts and our lives. We're going to look today especially at the ceiling and the latter rain. That's going to be our focus today. An interesting topic, one that shows up not to this extent, at an evangelistic meeting, but we do talk about the seal of God and the mark of the beast, don't we? How many of you have attended a public evangelistic meeting sometime in the last two years? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, I'm sure those topics were covered. If they weren't, please come see me and we'll talk about why they weren't included. So we'll have to deal with it accordingly, but... The seal of God is an interesting perspective on what God wants to do with us. So I want to start off, thank you very much. Sign up, sign in sheets. Have they gotten around? I want to make sure nobody gets missed. If there's any material that you need, be sure and sign it. I would appreciate that. Thank you very much. I want to give a synthesis of the ceiling right now, which mainly, mainly means that I just want to boil it down for, uh, for a moment here so that we get a perspective of it, and then we would talk about it more in detail. So first of all, the ceiling involves what Ephesians, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, when he says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of what? So we're preparing for the return of Christ. The day of redemption is that day. And the work of the Spirit of God, we are told, is to seal us under that day. We want to understand what that means so that we can allow that to be happening in our lives. The second point is that the latter rain, according to Ellen White in Testimonies to Ministers, page 506, represents the spiritual grace that prepares the church for the coming of the Son of Man. Now, we're going to talk more about the latter rain in the last half of today. It is a misnomer for us when we put all what the Bible says and what Ellen White says about the latter rain to allow that to be the final statement here. It says it represents the spiritual grace that prepares the church for the coming of the Son of Man. Yes, it is but it's not a grace that you get by sitting around doing nothing. You understand? It's not where you just suddenly wake up one day and, and Jesus said, well, I like you today, so I'm going to 
give you the, the seal, I'm going to give you the latter rain. That's not how that works, and I want to make sure that statement doesn't lead you to that conclusion. But what is clear from this statement is that it is spiritual grace that Jesus gives to us that prepares us for His coming. The sealing begins in conversion and ends at death or the close of probation. We mentioned this earlier. We're coming back to it now to make sure that it is clear and that we represent or understand what, uh, what it is that God is doing for us. At conversion, that sealing process begins. What does that mean? It means that the uh, experience that we have is uh, that, that Jesus gives to us when we talked yesterday about the conversion experience and the justification experience, that is the beginning of the sealing work. The sanctification experience is the ongoing process of sealing us. And when we die, it's either it's done because there's no more opportunity contrary to what some Christians believe. Fortunately, no Seventh-day Adventists believe that, that I'm aware of. Um, or it ends when the Lord Jesus comes. Uh, well, I should say the close of probation. Get that straight. The fourth point here is that the sealing is defined as writing the principles of God's law in our lives, including the fourth commandment. The sealing is going on now. It's now in progress. Your presence here is part of that sealing experience that you're going through. It closes when the angel with the writer's inkhorn returns to heaven. We'll clarify that in a few moments. It is the mark or the sign of allegiance to divine authority. Now, the author, Fernando Chai, sometimes uses that work word mark makes me a little nervous because of the fact that we don't want to confuse it with the mark of the beast. But Ellen White, as we will see in a few moments, does use that work. And the bottom line is it's God's mark on, uh, uh, on, uh, on us, a uh, sign of our relationship with Jesus, or the mark of the beast is God's mark on those who have chosen to accept what the world is delivering. All right? So mark one way or another, but we distinguish the two by seal, the seal of God, what he's preparing for us. It is also the mark of deliverance. So that's a synthesis of the seal. Now let's take a look at it more specifically. What is this instrument that uh, makes up the mark? Well, first of all, that instrument is the law of God in general. But specifically, it is the fourth commandment because the fourth commandment contains the lawgiver's name, the lawgiver's title, and the lawgiver's authority. Those three elements you're familiar with because you all raised your hands going through an evangelistic meeting, and we repeat that there for those who've never heard that concept and that direction there. So what is going on here? What is it about the fourth commandment? What is it about this process that, uh, that is accomplishing this sealing work that God is doing for us? Well, the mark that's made is the application of the instrument that produces a Christ-like life. 
a fixing of the law in the life. And the agent that is doing this work is not me, but it is the Holy Spirit. It is not you. It is the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life doing this work as we already spoke of a few moments ago. The seal is a mark that is invisible. If anybody goes around trying to tell you that it's a credit card or it's a mark on your forehead or whatever, either the mark of the beast or the seal of God, one way or another, that's not the point that's being made at all. As uh, it says in, um, I think this is Review and Herald for March uh, 2, uh, that doesn't give a date, does it? I'm not sure exactly what the reference is that I'm got up here, but this is what she says. What is the seal of God which is placed on the foreheads of the, his people? It is a mark which, which angels, not human eyes, can read. For the destroying angel must see this mark of redemption. The intelligent mind has seen the sign of the cross of Calvary in the Lord's adopted sons and daughters. The sin of the transgression of the law of God is taken away. They have on the wedding garment and are obedient and faithful to all of God's commands. It is a mark that is placed on those who have separated from sin. Well, I do, and for some reason it got a little confused there, so I'm going to have to double-check on it. Um, and it is, in your, it is in your material. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. What? Yes, but it's not clear, so I want to try to... I'll tell you what the problem was when I was looking this up. I said, you know, I really want that reference. So I looked it up real quick, and the one that he gave in here was not right. I couldn't find it anyway. And let me show you where I'm looking. It's in this chapter on the ceiling on page 50. And the reference that is here is uh, 4 BC 1161. And I went there and couldn't find it. <laughs> I could not find it there. And so here's what I did. If you've got the CD-ROM or go online and do it, the part that you want to reference in order to get the statement is it is a mark which angels. If you'll type in that in quotation marks, it comes right up. Pardon me? Oh, it's Maranatha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, well, you know what? I just didn't realize what Mar was. So it's the devotional book Maranatha. All right, page 243. Thank you for getting that all clarified, because I was even confused myself. All right, we got that clear? All right, so the reference again is Maranatha. I thought something was missing, and my mind just did that to me. All right, so it is something that's invisible. You can't see it. It is being accomplished by the angel that is, uh, is something that they can see, and it's contained in the fourth commandment. It is re because it reveals the, uh, is revealed in the observance of the fourth commandment. Why? Because that commandment is especially um, the commandment that is attacked by the devil. The devil wants us to believe that the world was created 
not by God, by evolution, by anything. He wants to take uh, creation out of the hand of God. He is trying to destroy God. He is trying to pretend that God doesn't exist. He is trying to take away God's authority. He's trying to do anything he can to move the world away from God. And the fourth commandment is a constant reminder to the world that God is the creator and that he's in charge. You've heard the statement made many times, if the world had, had stayed with keeping the Sabbath, there never would have been an evolutionist. It couldn't have happened because the command itself constantly reminds us that God is the creator. And every day that we, every Sabbath that we worship, we are honoring the God who made that day. Did you, how many of you heard, uh, doc, uh Dr. Bohr, um, I think he's a doctor, Elder Dr. Bohr, sermon on Sabbath this past Sabbath? Wasn't that phenomenal? I had never heard things put together like that. Many of us came away saying, Wow, that was really powerful. If you haven't heard it, make sure you get a copy of that sermon. If you have heard it, get a copy anyway, because you really want that, and you want to share that with your, with your, with your fellow church members and family members. That was a powerful, powerful also, sermon. The ABC has that sermon. Is that sermon? Great. Thank you for that. Excellent. So get both and make it, take advantage of it. Excellent material. And it's reminding us of what God is, is trying to do in our lives by the Sabbath. And now you can understand why the devil wants to get rid of it. It is constantly reminding him of who's in charge. And that's why when we get into Revelation chapter 13 and we begin to understand the struggle uh, between the beast and the image to the beast, and the, the conflict with God's people, why the focal point is on this area of controversy, and why the Roman Catholic Church wants to place emphasis on Sunday so much, because they say that they brought about Sunday, and that they have the authority to do that, the authority to change God's law, and of who's telling them to do that. Well, Revelation chapter 13 tells us that the dragon is the one who gives the beast his, his authority, and the dragon is the devil. So the devil is the one who's giving that power to them, giving them that direction to them, because that is what he wants the world to believe. Please. Uh, in Revelation 21, in verse... Absolutely. That is well put. I'm going to repeat it so that it gets on the recording. Um, she was making the comment that we have that uh, Revelation 21 verse 3 is talking about, and, and the context is heaven, all right, and the recreation of the world, and God wants to spend eternity with us. That's my summary of that whole section. And in Revelation 21 3, that desire of God to be with us and bring us with Him is is uh, is symbolized in the Sabbath. My words, symbolized in the Sabbath because. That's what God wants to do with us every week. He wants to spend that time with us. He wants to connect with us. So I appreciate that because 
it's reminding this is not a legal issue or legalistic issue. You all keep the Sabbath because you're legalists and we're not, we're not legalists. We get to do whatever we want to. Really? No, you get to break the Sabbath, but you don't do so in honor of God because you wouldn't break any of the other commandments and believe it's okay. Christians don't believe it's okay to kill people. Not real Christians anyway. Okay, we'll keep going with that. You get my point. So the point, <laughs> this is getting to be a challenging world, isn't it? When does the sealing, the final sealing, occur? First of all, the time is short. It, in that, it's that final process. Because the sealing's ongoing, like we said, the sealing's going on now. As we get into the sequence of events at the end of time, the sealing is not a long period of time. It's not, in other words, it's not, it's, it doesn't take generations when we get into this period of time. I mean, I can't tell you how long it is because the Bible doesn't tell us, but the point is it's part of that final process that comes up to the close of probation. That's the sealing work. The sealing work is going on now, and it ends when probation closes. And we'll be talking about that uh, in the uh, days ahead here as to when that is. The angels are holding back the winds of strife until the sealing is completed. Have you been listening to the news in the last couple of days? You shouldn't be. But I have, only because I keep hearing stuff about it, so I quickly get on my phone and I look it up there. I say, you're a camp meeting, that's why you want to leave it alone. Just get away from it. So I shouldn't probably tell you what's going on. <laughs> That's about right. I'm telling you, this world is, is crazy. I'm not going to get into any politics of anything, but we already talked a couple days ago about what's going on with the Russians. But now we're, we're, we're horsing around with North Korea like, seriously, we really want to play this game? You know, um, Ed Reed made a point in his material one that I referred to earlier, and he said, you know, because a lot of people are worried about the nuclear bombs and all of that. I mean, there are enough nu nuclear bombs to destroy the world I don't know how many times over, and you know what? You only have to destroy it once, and it's, it won't happen again any more than that. Um, and Ed Reed makes this point. He says it'll never happen. Right? And it won't. Because God's in control, and the next thing that's going to happen is not the destruction of the world at man's hands. It's going to be the destruction because man has turned his back on God, and God is going to save his people from here, and then the world will be destroyed. And it'll make nuclear bombs look like toys. So, but the angels are holding those winds of strife back. You and I can look at the news and say... Crazy world again, but God's still in control. And the angels are holding the winds of strife back. From Maranatha, page 243, verse, uh, paragraph 6, I want to read it again. A little bit more here. What is the seal of the living God which is placed on the foreheads of his people? It is a mark which angels, but not human eyes, can read. For the destroying angel must see this mark of redemption. Do you remember the destroying angel going through Egypt, and what was he looking for? 
he was looking for a mark on the doors, wasn't he? He was saying, when that mark is there, I will pass over. If the mark wasn't there, the destroying angel entered. And this is God showing us that he is indeed concerned about these things in our lives. And he does want us to make a decision for him. And that decision, if he, if he didn't do this, if there was no need for us to make decisions, if we were either forced to one way or the other, which universalism, you know what that is? Everybody's going to be saved. You know, you, you go to a universalist church and, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, do what you want. Everybody's going to be saved anyway. It's all good. Really? That doesn't even make sense because that means God literally has to force everyone to be good. Or he's going to take everybody in and we're going to have a sinful world just like this. And I don't want that world. I'm, I've already tried that, right? Have you? I mean, look at it. You're living in it. <laughs> I can tell this world isn't where I want to stay. I'm not talking about living like a worldling. I'm just living in it and that's enough. And so he's, the, the angel wants to be able to see this, needs to be able to see this mark of redemption. That is the decision that we have made by our lives. The intelligent mind has seen the sign of the cross of Calvary in the Lord's adopted sons and daughters. The sin of transgression, the law of God is taken away. They have on the wedding garment and are obedient and faithful to all of God's commands. I knew I'd cut off something in that statement earlier. And uh, this is that full statement. So you catch that last part? They have on the wedding garment, we talked about that yesterday, and are obedient and faithful to all of God's commandments. This is not legalism. This is the heart responding to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God then working in us. Who gives us a new heart? Who gives us a new mind? It's God who gives that to us. He's the one who takes the heart of flesh out and puts in, I should say, the heart of stone out and puts in the heart of flesh. He is the one who makes the change in us. It's the Spirit of God. And when He makes that change in us, we respond positively to what God asks us to do. And that includes the commandments. All right, we'll keep going. There are some conditions relative to the seal that we want to... Uh, understand. There's quite a few of them listed here, so we're going to work through them right now. From volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 50, we learn that one of the conditions is submission to God's will. It's easy to make that statement. But if you're like me as a human being, sometimes God's will is not my will. Did you know that? I face that struggle just like you do, that, all right, I, that's God's will, but now I've got to submit to that will, right? It reminds me of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus is the one who comes to us and he gives us the strength to be able to, to overcome and to, to get that help. Who was I hearing on the campus here? I think it was Wes Peppers. He's talking a little bit about a struggle that he had, or somebody was. I can't remember who I was hearing. Was it Wes Peppers yesterday morning, I think it was? And he was talking a little bit about that, and, 
and how that sometimes children in our lives kind of get our attention. And, you know, that's why we need to become like a little child and be remind, God uses them to remind us that well, you're struggling here, but wait a minute, Jesus is the one who's wanting control of my life. And, and he's, he has to help us with that. All right. Number two, seal will, not, uh, seal will not be placed on impure, ambitious, world-loving men and women of false tongues and deceitful hearts. Wow. The reason this preparation class for me, I believe, is necessary, because we do need to start thinking seriously, if we aren't. I suspect that those who come to a class like this are already thinking seriously. But we can't go on the way we are. We can't continue. The things that are around us, the media today, you know, I, I for the life of me, there's an interesting struggle going on among young people and older people as well. And, and that struggle is over media in all its different forms. You know, I grew up, you may have, if you grown up, grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist, you grew up going to Seventh-day Adventist schools and all those kinds of uh, blessings that, that many of us benefited from. You know, there was never a discussion about whether or not I was going to go to the theater. I mean, it just wasn't even on the radar, all right? And, oh yeah, I'm sure that there were those who were struggling with it, but today it's not even a discussion anymore. Now it's just um, all the kids talking about on a lot of campuses about all the movies they saw at the theater. And then I come to this, and I'm saying the seal will not be placed on impure, ambitious, world-loving, and men and women of false tongues and deceitful hearts. The media is all about all of that. It's what it's about. And then the challenge also is not just the theater, it's bringing it into our homes in all kinds of different forms. I'm going to, I'm, I see your hand, but I'm going to keep moving here for just a moment. My wife and I, my wife is a counselor, I think most of you know that, and uh, a couple, three years ago, we attended uh, the AACC, which is the American Association of Christian Counselors Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. They, it happens every couple of years. Very interesting place to go, and, uh, and if you're a counselor, it's nice to be in circles of Christians who don't have the problems that... Anyway, that's a whole other story. And, uh, and of course, it's, it's Christians with different beliefs and so on, but I remember Josh McDowell. How many of you know that name? Josh McDowell getting up, and he was teaching, uh, taking... It was a general uh, event, not one of the separate breakout sessions, but it was a plenary session where everybody was there, and he was talking about what's going on today. Now, this was a couple, two or three years ago, and it's at least as bad today. And he was talking about the issue of pornography, and he was talking about the how that has invaded the space of people's lives today, starting with kids. And he said that the early age today is generally somewhere where kids are being exposed to pornography is somewhere between six and seven years old. And where are they getting it from? They're getting it from the cell phones. They're getting it from their friends who've got cell phones that they don't have cell phones. And, and Josh McDowell made an amazing statement, to me amazing in the sense that 
it really should get our attention. He said, I mean, this is not a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, one of those conservative, legalistic Seventh-day Adventists. This was Josh McDowell, and he gets, he's up there and he says, the day of the sleepover is over. And he, he told story, uh, at least a couple of stories there, of parents who had kids coming over to the sleepover and they weren't monitoring what was going on, and then they found out what was going on. I'm talking among kids, seven, eight, nine years old, and when the mother found out, she was horrified, and she should have been. And that's why he said the day of the sleepover is over, because we can't afford to risk our kids when this and this is just one piece, but when this piece infects our kids, it's something that is there for their lives, unless God delivers them. And He will deliver them, absolutely. So I, I want to make sure that part's clear. But I'm telling you, how evil is this world? And we're just, we're, we're, we're struggling with on our campuses or wherever. I, I don't care. I'm not putting down on anybody. I understand what's going on out there. It's a real world. It's a real devil. But we're really having this discussion about whether it's okay to go to the theater or not. All we have to do is open our eyes and see what's out there and say, there's no way that if I'm preparing for the return of Jesus, I can have my eyes feasting on that stuff and my mind absorbing that stuff. Okay, a couple of hands quickly here and I'll make you go. It's the, it's the natural progression in this. Um, I've also heard that the next piece of it, and just for the recording, he said that uh, he heard that there are those uh, involved in the LGBT and, and all that are talking about okaying pornography and, and all of that. Others are talking out there, well, why don't we okay polygamy and everything else? I mean, let's just keep going. Well, that's where the world is headed. It's exactly where the world is headed. It's natural. It's coming. Uh, I naturally that it follows for that progression of thought. And there's no, there's a part of this, I mean, I'm getting a little bit off here, but part of this issue, shortly after the United States uh, okayed this whole LGBT, uh, same-sex marriage and all that kind of thing, we started hearing people talking about, now our real goal is to do away with genders, period. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you, the light should be going on right there, right? Because Genesis chapter 1 says that God did what? Made them man and, man, man, and, uh, man and woman, male and female. And what is the devil trying to do? He's trying to obliterate that. Because by doing that, he's obliterating the image of God. We just see that all. All right, I passed by you and I want to make sure I don't... Oh, that's okay. I just wanted to keep in mind because I was brought up in the Catholic home. I was so <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, I remember heard this point, she always called the health message, she exercised the body that she did, mm-hmm. and she ate the food, and she never wanted to do, never had, you know, like, seven days or six or two weeks or five or something like that. And she ran to me with a strict list. Uh-huh. We were only allowed to watch like two programs a week. Uh-huh. You know, and even when we were little kids, we couldn't put it in the back. 
I'm so privileged that she did that. So I thank her. My friend knows my own. But I thank her for that because she trained us up uh-huh. to uh, guard the enemies of our soul. But she didn't use those words. Yeah. And she just said, you, you can't like that stuff. You can't. And the stuff that we were talking about was the Christian system. Ah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's that that's what's amazing to me. And yet you you and you look back at that and say, I'm thankful for that. And so what is that saying to us today about if if, if parents were smart enough back then to say no, what should we be doing today? All right, I must keep going. All right, we must be victorious Christians. The seal is given and is impressed upon us when Jesus leaves the sanctuary and our characters are fixed for eternity. That final sealing is going on. Now, are you getting the picture of what's happening here? You know about Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, and the uh, and that whole process where Jesus stands up and uh, leaves the sanctuary. You understand that? You with me? Are we together? And where Jesus leaves the sanctuary is the time when this is all concluding. Now, obviously, you and I don't know because there's not a video monitor up there in the, in the sanctuary in heaven, and we get to see when Jesus stands up and leaves that. But when you see what's happening in the world and it begins to come together, the bottom line is you and I are preparing now. You and I are experiencing the ceiling now. We're not, I'm glad that we don't have a monitor up there watching that because we'd all be sitting here waiting. I thought, I thought I saw him move. You know, can you imagine us doing that? How wise God is that he doesn't give us knowledge that sometimes we think we wish we had. Those who receive the seal of God reflect the image of Jesus fully. They will not tolerate sin, but exchange their filthy rags for Christ's robe of righteousness. I'm going to take a look at a couple of statements here in just a couple of moments because I want to look at it completely. As we get into this part of it, this becomes a, a, a part of the journey where we can wander down a path that is a dead-end road for us, where we try to figure out how we're going to make this happen and how this is all possible. I want to come back to what we talked about again yesterday. This is righteousness by faith. It is righteousness by us surrendering to Jesus. It is righteousness by His power being imparted to us. This is not our power, it's His power. The aspect of the works, we've got to understand that, but we're going to come to it in just a moment. Please. As I said, we've got to be careful the road we go down here. Christ, that's a whole... <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep going. I knew somebody would be asking that question before here. And uh, so we've got to keep going. Let's, let's not stop in the middle. 
Let's keep our eyes on it. So those who receive the seal reflect the image of Jesus fully. They will not tolerate sin, but exchange their filthy rags for Christ's righteousness. By the methods that God uses, we must work on the problem of remedying our defects of character. And that's what I want to spend a few moments talking about right now. One of these statements comes from um, Volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 214, and here is that statement. This is what she says, Volumes 5 of the Testimonies, page 214. She says, Not one of us will ever receive the seal of God while our characters have one spot or stain upon them. Is that sinking in? It is left with us to remedy the defects in our characters, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain, because we're leading into the latter rain right now, right? Then the latter rain will fall upon us as the early rain fell upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Now here's, here is a lesson we all must learn. When we study the Bible, when we study the spirit of prophecy, be careful about taking statements out of their context. Because if you take just that statement alone and you put it on the screen here and you try to digest that and you come away with something that Ellen White didn't believe, didn't teach, and the Bible doesn't teach. And what you're seeing in here is left with us to remedy the defects, defects in our characters, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Well, I already know I can't do that. So I'm going to walk out of here totally and thoroughly discouraged because if that's what God expects of me, it isn't going to happen. I'm not going to be in heaven. So when I read that statement, I said, I've got to know what more is there. So here's the rest of the statement. Can you read it? No, but it's on page, it's on page 214 and 215, and I'm going to read some of it. If you're close enough to be able to read it, I should have broken it into two slides, so forgive me for doing that. But mark down the reference. Maybe it'll encourage you to go and look it up for yourself and get it. Now, here's what she says. We are too easily satisfied with our attainments. This is sounding familiar from yesterday. We feel rich and increased with goods and know not that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now is the time to heed the admonition of the true witness. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes, thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. Quoting from what we were talking about yesterday in uh, Revelation chapter 3. Then she continues, In this life... We must meet fiery trials and make costly sacrifices, but the peace of Christ is the reward. There has been so little self-denial, so little suffering for Christ's sake, that the cross is almost entirely forgotten. We must be partakers with Christ of His sufferings if we would sit down in triumph with Him on His throne. I heard uh, Elder Bohr say, what do you think I am, a masochist? Is that what you think I am? Any of you hear him say that? It's not that we're looking for suffering. 
It's because that's part of the process by which Jesus is, refer, is refining us. And that suffering can come in many different forms. That going on, she says, so long as we choose the easy path of self-indulgence and are not frightened at self-denial, our faith will never become firm and we cannot know the peace of Jesus nor the joy that comes through conscious victory. The most exalted of the redeemed hosts that stand before the throne of God and the Lamb, clad in white, know the conflict of overcoming, for they have come up through great tribulation. You see, the Lord is preparing us for a time in which we will suffer. I can't tell you what that suffering will be for you or what that suffering will be for me. I don't know what any of that form is. But the suffering, whatever it is that Jesus knows I need, he, he knows that what I need uh, what, what is needed in my life to prepare me for his return. What I have to be willing to do is submit to whatever it is that he brings into my life. I don't like suffering. I don't like a cold. <laughs> I don't like a headache. But I do want to trust Jesus that whatever comes into my life is leading me to understand that he's in full control and that he's going to get me through what I am facing, to come through great tribulation. Those who have yielded to circumstances rather than engage in this conflict will not know how to stand in that day when anguish will be upon every soul, when though Noah... Job and Daniel were in the land. They could save neither son nor daughter, for everyone must deliver his soul up by his own righteousness. Again, don't get the wrong picture here. This is a picture of total and complete submission to Jesus. This is a recognition of the fact that the battle you and I are facing today is the battle that we um, that, that is preparing us for the battle that's ahead. You know what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 12? Take your Bibles and look at Hebrews chapter 12. We're doing that, can I say, it's intentional sin, and the Holy Spirit is from the intentional sin. But there's unintentional sin, and we don't realize that we're hurting one another's feelings or someone is too sensitive. So let me repeat it for, for what you said here. You said there's a there's intentional sin and there's unintentional sin. And the work of the Spirit of God is helping us with both of those. And helping us to understand that the unintentional sin, you know, the unintentional sin is driving down the freeway and somebody cuts you off and you, whatever. Um, it's that you didn't plan on, that wasn't intentional, but the circumstances led you into that experience. What about that unintentional sin and how does the Spirit of God working? Well, the Spirit of God wants to work with us so that even the unintentional sin is not the direction of our hearts. But look at Revelation chapter 12, and, and that's what you were saying. Revelation chapter 12. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm, that's where I'm at, actually. <laughs> In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, very well-known verses, 
Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Ever heard those verses before? But a lot of the times we read those verses and praise the Lord for them, for what Jesus wants to do for us and what He's doing. But we often don't read the next verses. I have a sermon that I preach on this, and I get stuck in that in the first two verses. And then I quickly go through verses 3 through 11. But this is the part I want to stress right now. Verse 3, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You and I haven't fought against sin, really fought against sin. You know, we have a little struggle about, you know, I, I like uh, Vicki Griffin. I'm sure you've heard Vicki Griffin talk. One of her favorite illustrations is, is talking about eating Twinkies or something like that, you know. Uh, so I resist eating a Twinkie. Is that resisting sin? Okay, I'll let you decide. That we, it's, it's a lot more than that in resisting sin. It, it, it's, I'm not going to sin even if it costs me my life. And I'm going to do that. Lord, help me. I've got to resist. Whatever it is in your life that the Lord is talking about here, have you and I have resisted to sin, to bloodshed, he says. I'm talking about shedding somebody else's blood to our own bloodshed. I, is it so serious that like Jesus at, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane that he was shedding blood even before he got to the cross where his blood was shed? That's resisting sin. That is submitting to the will of God. That's what Paul is trying to tell us here in Hebrews chapter 12. And, and this is the kind of experience that God is leading us into in our experience. Now, I can't digress too far here and, and, uh, and get away from what I'm talking about here. But I want to make sure, to make sure it's abundantly clear. This is not the work that you and I are doing except that we are constantly doing what Paul says and submitting to the Lord, resisting to bloodshed. I'd love to preach the sermon that I have from there, but I don't have time to do that right now by way of illustration. So this is the sealing process. The sealing process is the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. He is the one who is leading us to this full and complete submission. And He comes and it centers around the work of the Ten Commandments in our lives. And the Fourth Commandment is a focal point of that. Now let's keep going because I want to talk about the Holy Spirit and the latter rain, which these two are working in conjunction with each other. The latter rain is going to be poured out on God's people when they are ready to receive it. The latter rain is going to finish that work in us, but it's not going to come just, I mean, while we're out having a good time in life, and then the Spirit of God says, okay, time to quit having a good time. Now we're going to do this. I, I, I need control of your life. All right, zap, I'm going to... He doesn't do that. It's now that we are preparing for that experience. And the latter rain comes, well, let's look at it. The Spirit of God's work is to convince of sin. The Spirit of God is to direct the mind in the study of the Word. The Spirit of God is to bring to remembrance the Word when it's needed. God's Holy Spirit is to intercede for us before the Father. 
The Holy Spirit is to give us proof or internal assurance that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit is to enable the children of God to proclaim the gospel with success and power. So we often think about this aspect in terms of the latter rain. When we talk about the early rain uh, uh, in the day of Pentecost, our focal point is in the fact that in Acts chapter 2, on that day when it happened, there were 3,000 people converted in a day. And, and then after that, it says that daily there were those that were joining the church and that this is the work. And that's the latter rain that we're looking forward to. Yes, that is part of the work of the latter rain. But the latter rain is much more than that. As the early rain's work was the conversion of the hearts of the disciples that prepared them and brought them together in unity. That work is the work that still must be done today. I really had wanted to, I, there's just not enough time. How many of you saw the video just before uh, General Conference in uh, 2015, put out by the General Conference, of the dream that Ellen White had? You know what I'm talking about? Of the unity of the brethren coming together? And then you remember the end of that whole experience? And she said, this is what might have been? Well, that's what must be before Jesus comes. He's not going to force us. It's what must happen. And, and I mean, just look around you and ask yourselves, in your own church, could it happen today in your own church? Let alone the church in a world, while 19, mem 19, million, 19 million members in the Seventh-day Adventist church and when we come together, 50,000 strong for a, for a leadership uh, uh, event like General Conference, 50, 60, 70,000, and we're squabbling over things, and we're making fun of each other about what we believe, and we're waiting for the Spirit of God, we're praying for the latter rain at the same time we're behaving like this, and I got to include myself in that. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. You didn't see me say which side we're on on that. I'm just talking about the general state of all of our hearts. What God is telling us is that all of this has got to be surrendered to Him. It must be submitted. If I'm in conflict with my brother or my sister in my church, and I expect the latter rain to fall on me, and I've decided I'm going to keep this this anger or this, this, this feeling in my heart and I'm going to harbor that and at the same time I'm pleading for the Spirit of God, I need to get back on my knees and plead that God will first take away that and help me to get this right with my, my brother or my sister and then come back and pray that the latter rain will be poured out. Sounds a lot like Matthew chapter 18 and other places where God reminds us, Jesus reminds us, that before we um, come with something against our brother, we must take care of what's in our own hearts, right? So, uh, I just, I want to get this point. That's the synthesis. Now, let's go into the specific parts of it. The purpose of the latter rain is to give power to the third angel and to prepare the saints for the time of trouble. Two pieces there, catch them. The latter rain is not, is not, to begin the experience in us, it's to finish the experience in us. And Ellen White makes it clear that it will not happen while we've got these other things going on. Uh, we're coming to that. 
Anyway, the third, giving power to the third angel. The third angel is spreading the message that has in my mind, I'm summarizing it with two parts. The warning of the mark of the beast and the message of the righteousness of faith by faith in Christ. Those two pieces there. Ellen White says that the three, third angel's message is the message of righteousness by faith in verity. Yes? All right? So, but part of that message is warning the world of the fact that the mark of the beast is coming. Why then is the third angel's message also the message of righteousness by faith? The reason it is also the message of righteousness by faith is because the person that you want to not get the mark of the beast is not going to be, do, be able to resist the mark of the beast any other way than submitting to Jesus. Right? The warning there is to turn to Jesus. The warning there is to listen to the, the uh, true witness in Revelation 3 and the message that he's trying to bring to us in preparing us to receive the seal, which we just were talking about, and to resist the world and the mark of the beast. All of that happens through righteousness by faith. So that message is what he is giving us power to proclaim. At the same time, he's working on our hearts as individuals. And he is preparing us for the time of trouble to come. Now we're going to be talking about that tomorrow. Um, specifically, it will be the focus of what uh, we will be doing. We'll talk about the shaking and the conditions in the world. And that all relates to the, uh, the time of trouble. And we'll look into that also on, on Friday. But it, this work also ripens the harvest. This time of shaking, as we will talk about tomorrow, as we uh, saw in the overview, the time of shaking is a time when people who have resisted God that are in the church walk away and not allowed God into their lives. They are following the ways of the world and don't realize that all these things that are out there that the devil's using to draw them away from God have accomplished their work and they say, I don't need this anymore. Seventh-day Adventist church is too legalistic for me and I'm out the door. That's why you're seeing what's going on today is the tip of the iceberg of where that will go. But here's the good news. Those people that are walking out the door we'll talk about tomorrow will be replaced by those that the Spirit of God is ripened, waiting for that moment. And those ones, those faithful ones, the ones that are being reached today by 3ABN and, and Strong Tower Radio and, and you're taking Bible studies to them, those people that have resisted uh, making a decision for the last five years at an evangelistic meeting, they're the ones that are going to turn around and walk into the church while there are others walking out. Because God is purifying His church and He's preparing His people and the Spirit of God is accomplishing this work and finishing that work. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. The importance and the necessity of the Spirit of God is based upon the promises. It brings all other blessings in its frame. Ellen White says, why don't we pray for it more? The angels don't understand, she says. Don't understand. And you know, I take that really seriously. It's not just somebody saying, you know, it's some preacher like me saying, you know, angels, whatever. She saw the angels. And the angels are saying, we don't get this, my language. We don't understand. Why aren't God's people pleading and pleading and, and, and seeking the outpouring of the Spirit of God? We don't understand why that's not happening. 
If we are willing, we would be filled, she says in Acts of the Apostles, page 50. We may have the Holy Spirit if we seek and we pray for it. At this very hour, she says, it may be ours if we take God at His Word. There are some conditions, and we need to talk about those conditions. There's quite a long list that I'm going to work through here in the next few moments. The conditions are these. The first of all, we have to claim by faith the promise that the Holy Spirit will be given to us and that He will give us a, it will be given to us in accordance to our capacity to receive. You know, I try to understand exactly what that means, but I know that God will only give me what I can stand and what I can handle. I don't claim to be a Moses. I don't claim to be a Joshua. When Moses was on this earth, there was only one Moses that was needed. And his capacity to receive the Spirit of God and to be controlled by God was equal to his surrender and commitment to God. That didn't mean that people like Joshua and Caleb were bad people, but they may not have needed that extra Spirit of God to do what God was asking them to do. Or they may not have had the capacity at that moment to be able to receive that. God knows what we can receive. He knows what we can handle. He knows that if He gave me too much power, I'd be totally dangerous. And I mean that seriously. I, I, I'd be dangerous to me. He doesn't give me the power that I, you know, to heal people if I am going to wind up saying, wow, look how powerful I just became. In this world, in this time of, uh, I know I'm not going down that road. That, that, that one was going the wrong direction. I know it was. So it's, we are going to face this in relationship to our capacity to receive. That's what God is trying to help us with. I saw a hand here. I'm going to take one more comment, then I'll have to race to the end to make sure I get done. One quick observation. Mm -hmm. As I look at the cross, as I really need to get my Absolutely. That if I as John the Baptist, he must take place on the speakers. If that would also help the Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, an illustration that I think parallels that is Martin Luther himself. You know, Martin Luther was a man who was growing in his relationship with Jesus, wasn't he? And the more he submitted, the more God was able to use him. He was not ready. He had to come to Jesus every day in the capacity you said, just like you and I must. And he was not ready for Wittenberg. Wittenberg, I guess, is closer German. But he wasn't ready for that experience when he was climbing the stairs on his knees. But he also wasn't ready for Worms until he had gone through the experience up to that point. And when he got to the, the point where he had to stand up and say, you know, this, this, I can only stand on the Bible, I can't do anything else but that, he had to take the steps along the way, and the Lord was increasing his capacity as he took those steps. That's what God is doing with us. That's that sanctification process, that sealing process that's going on in our lives. Okay, let's keep going. According to our desire and our consent, is it your desire for the Spirit of God to, to have control of your life? I, I ask myself that from time to time, and I, and I say, you know, the sinful part of me 
is not sure it wants to give in to the Spirit of God because sin is enticing and I have to give in to the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit of God has to say, I've got it a whole lot better than what you think you've got on the sinful world. So according to our desire and our consent, in other words, he doesn't bypass our will. He's not going to force us to do something. We must surrender our will to him. It follows revival, that revival of primitive godliness that Ellen White spoke of in Great Controversy, page 464. She said that revival is going to take place. And of course, the devil along the way is working to, to sidetrack that. That's another discussion. We'll come up to that later. Must feel the need and pray for his presence. We not only must desire and consent uh, and uh, consent to it, but we must feel that need and pray for His presence. That's why that five-minute prayer uh, in the morning, running out the door, is not what prayer is needed in this regard, because God is working to change us. And only if we are praying because we sense our need. And the more we sense our need, the more time we realize we need to be on our knees asking God to help us with this experience in our lives. It must be a priority of our spiritual lives. Ellen White makes it clear that this must be the direction for our lives and the the purpose of our lives. We must desire to go this direction, as we already said, but it must be a priority in our spiritual lives. That's why I believe that our presence in this class is leading us to talk about the preparation that's necessary and realize that we can't just keep on keeping on. There are changes that must take place by submitting to the Lord. Now, we already talked about this, but coming back to it, the first, the, uh, first, the early rain must take place in our lives, the forsaking of sin and the cleansing of heart by confession, prayer, consecration, thus preparing for added power. God doesn't give us power until we're ready to be able to use it to His glory and not to ours. And He can't give it to us in, uh, until we have set aside sin and forsaking it, confessing, and praying and consecrating our lives to Him. Some more conditions that we claim it by faith. It's given according to the capacity to receive. Does that sound familiar? No? Okay, we're good. Growth in grace and walking in light already received is what we must do. In other words, we must, we must respond to the light we have. If, if I've received light that that working on Sabbath is the wrong thing for me to do, and I'm expecting the Spirit of God to be given to me in the latter rain, and I've not yielded that issue to Him and realized that I've got to learn to trust Him that He can handle this problem of me working on Sabbath. In other words, the fact that I need income. That's one of the reasons that the Sabbath and other things like it are tests for us, because if we can't give, if we give in to that test, and, and say, I'm going to work on Sabbath because I just can't see any other way to do it, and, and whatever. You're right, you can't. And that until you get past that point, He can't give you additional power. You wouldn't know what to do with it. But it's when you come in your life to that particular point that He's able to work for you. I was studying with a lady that had the privilege of baptizing here a couple, three weeks ago. And as we were studying in uh, preparation for her baptism, 
Um, I was kind of Johnny come lately in this experience, and it's it's whatever uh, it was. But in studying with her, one of the things that I was studying about there was was uh, going over the the, the um, statement of beliefs and clearing her in preparation for baptism. And one of the things that I asked her, you know, I don't mean to step on anybody's toes right now. I'm just telling you a story. And you let the Spirit of God do with without whatever the Spirit of God wants to do. But in her life, at this particular moment, we were talking about some of the things and healthful living and, and so on. And she had given up, you know, the unclean foods and other kinds of things in her life. And she had an Adventist father and mother, and and but she had, you know, not really made a commitment to the church. And non-Adventist husband, and so on and so forth, when she surrendered all those things and was making progress. And so I, so I asked her, so how are you doing with caffeine? Well, coffee's a bit of a problem. And I've given it up before, and, and, uh, and, and, and I did it, but I got back into it. And man, the last time that I, that I gave up coffee, I had this terrible headache. And, and translation was, I don't want to go through that again. But we're coming up to her baptism, and she's struggling with this. And some of you know, some people might say, "Really, you're gonna?" Yes. Anyway, um, and so the lady then that I was that we that I was working with and studying with her shared a little of her own testimony of what, what God had done and and testing her along the way. And um, bless her heart, she agreed that we would pray for her for the next several days. And that we would pray that she would, number one, be able to quit drinking coffee. And number two, that God would take away those headaches so that she wouldn't have headaches. And there, there, was, there were other issues I knew that she would face in her life, not particularly at that moment, but decisions that she needed to make and would need to make. And I reminded her that these kinds of tests are helping us to understand that God can do for us what needs to be done. But we have to be willing to make that decision. And we asked her, are you willing to make that decision? She said, yes, she was willing. So we, we committed to pray for her. And we did pray for her. And I wasn't hearing anything for a couple of days because I told her, I said, I, you know, you need to pr let us know when we can stop praying. Well, you should never stop praying, but you know what I'm saying. And uh, I hadn't heard anything for two or three days, so I, I talked to the lady that uh, had been studying with her and, 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 and all. I said, have you heard anything? She said, no. So she got on the phone and she called her and she said, how's it going? She says, well, I haven't had any coffee since then. And he, she said, I haven't had a headache. And so, but she said, keep praying. So we continue to pray. And at her baptism, her testimony was that God had delivered her from that caffeine without a single headache. Why does God do that? Why does He do that? Number one, He hears prayer. Amen? And number two, He wanted her to know that the struggles that would be in front of her would be just as easily handled as He handled that problem of caffeine and those headaches that she was sure He couldn't handle. That's what God is doing for us in all of these kinds of situations. He's helping us to grow in here, to learn by faith what it is that He wants to do for us. All right, I see that the clock is telling me I'm almost done, so let's keep going. 
conditions of growth and grace and walking in the light received. That was what I was just talking about. We must be fully surrendered to Him. We must eliminate dissensions and misunderstandings, those struggles that are going in on our church. We, Our prayer meetings should be saying, if there's a dissension or there are problems going on in the church, the prayer meeting should be about solving that problem. And uh, and I don't mean ma- you know making it public and whatever. I'm just saying we should pray that God will take those things away from us because the latter rain is not coming to us as a church and not coming to us as individuals until those dissensions are put away. The differences must all be put away. We must surrender to self. Self-idolatry must be crucified. And we cannot do this ourselves. We must consent for Christ to do, to, to do it in us. Christ Object Lessons 159. And also see about prayer in that same place. In, uh, and the results. Here are the results. Praise the Lord, here are the results. Great power and glory attend the closing work. There is a revival that strengthens the church. The struggles that we see in the church now, when the dissensions are set aside and we all begin to realize that a united church is the only church that God can use in the end of time, God will then turn around and revive us and strengthen us. There will be bonds that will bind the people that are broken and they will step out in faith to obey the truth. Some leading men will even obey the truth. Leading men as in, I don't know who that might be. Maybe it'll be President Trump. I don't know. You know, whatever. People that are leaders in government, people that are leaders in in whatever capacity will accept the truth. The whole world will be enlightened. How much of the world? The whole world will be enlightened. When this whole issue of the Sabbath, that is at the focal point here, together with the Satan's attempts, which we'll talk about tomorrow, and the spiritism and all of that that Satan uses in, in this regard. God will use these to lighten the world in an amazing way. Can you imagine this whole world understanding what the great controversy is all about and choosing one side or the other because Jesus is calling them to make that decision. That light will lighten the whole world. It'll be similar to the day of Pentecost, but it'll be on a whole worldwide scale, not just in Jerusalem. The last message that will be proclaimed will be proclaimed by thousands. And there will be miracles that are wrought, and the sick will be healed. But, but, the problem is that while God is working, so is Satan. And as we've been reminded through other presentations, the deceptions that are coming on this world will deceive even the very elect. They're not in tune with Jesus. Righteous by faith. I'm saved by faith in Jesus, not by my knowledge of events or my desire even to resist the devil, but totally by my relationship with him and the word of God that he has provided to prepare me to resist those temptations. Tomorrow we'll continue on where we left off here into the next segment where we get into that time of the shaking and what God wants to do for us as the world around us is crumbling apart. Let's pray together. Loving Father, thank you for Jesus that demonstrated by his life
His death and His resurrection, that You are a loving Father. Thank You that we're reminded that we live in serious times, that there is a work that You want to do in us and for us that we cannot do our own, of our own, but we need Your power and strength in our lives. The sealing experience that we talked about does leave us with some unanswered questions. And Lord, I know that you will give us answers, that you will help us as we seek to come to the conclusions we need to come to, to understand your truth. In the meantime, Lord, I pray that you will continue to bless us, your work in our hearts and lives as we go to our other classes and complete this day. May your spirit walk with us moment by moment. And may your angels watch over us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.